Well, I can't wait for that movie to come out. Uh, the ultimate romance flick that a guy can actually go to. I wonder if it'll make the uh, Women's Network just wondering. I heard this story told. It's uh, similar to a couple of scenes that I have watched over the years of a couple sitting in a food court of a mall. They're maybe 70 years of age, and they are in a full-blown argument about a tool purchase the guy wanted to make that she thought was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, yelling at each other, all amped out, veins bulging, smack down kind of argument going on. They were so focused on each other, they didn't realize the whole food court could hear them. Maybe 70 years old. And when you think about it, it's taken decades for this couple to get like this. So short-tempered with each other. Maybe they've been like that all their married lives. I kind of hope not. It's just not the best picture of marriage in a day and age where marriage gets such a bum rap. When Jane and I were on our honeymoon, there were three other couples who were on their honeymoons on the same flight to the sunny south. They were all over each other, giggling, enjoying one one another. It was just awesome. We all ended up on the same flight back, must have got the same deal or something. And while all three couples did not come back looking like they enjoyed their honeymoon as Jane and I had, They were uh, looking at each other with coldness in their eyes. They left giddy and happy and returned full of tension. And Jane and I looked at each other and commented about the icy contrast, uh, that the future of those three marriages was not looking good. I, I kid you not, not a smile coming back and barely a word of conversation from these three other couples. I mean, it was a bizarre experience. Things like I've just described, you know, kind of get you thinking. Like, why would you want to jeopardize a perfectly loving dating relationship and get on the track that that 70-year-old couple got on so, so that they would stand in a public place bickering with each other over some silly tool purchase? Or, or leave for your honeymoon full of joy and bliss and come back a week later stone cold? Do you ever get a little cynical about marriage? Do you ever once in a while go... Do I believe in this or don't I? Does, does this work or doesn't it? Some of you might remember uh, the book that became a movie, Eat, Pray, Love. It, it came out around 2005. It was written by Elizabeth Gilbert, who had been scarred by her marriage and became a well-known campaigner against marriage, calling marriage a totally terrible idea. Then, five years later, she shocked everyone when she wrote a book saying that maybe marriage wasn't such a bad idea. After all, she wrote a book called Committed, A Skeptic Makes Peace with Marriage and said that she was starting a subversive movement by being pro-marriage. A total flip in perspective. Jesus was asked by a group of people one time. They were kind of marriage skeptics looking for loopholes for divorce. Uh, They were asking Jesus about marriage, and his response, it's in the Gospel of Mark, was, but God made the male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. We talked about this last week. 
Jesus here was reminding his listeners that in the original design of the human race, thousands of years earlier, the intent was that men and women would be drawn together by a force powerful enough to, to cause them to leave the family that they were raised in and to make a lifelong commitment to a partner with whom they would fulfill that commitment to the grave. You know, what God has put together, let no one put asunder. And by the way, Despite the bad rap marriage gets these days, uh, regardless of the divorce statistics, which are surprisingly actually improving these days, you, you just need to know that marriage is not going to become out of fashion. It is so wired into us by God. Marriage is going to survive just fine. It is the intent of God. It is the creation design. It's how we're wired by God that we would look for, and if we find a suitable partner, that we would enter into a lifelong relationship with that person. Now, that's not to say that everybody should get married or everybody's going to get married. Hey, we all know that Jesus stayed single. It's a perfectly good, God-honoring way to live. For some of you, you'll choose to be single. Some of you might even sense God calling you to be single. For others of you, circumstances have meant you are single. It is what it is. But there is this thing called marriage that was designed by God for us to pursue, and maybe not all of us, but many of us. Uh, let's go back to Elizabeth Gilbert, who moved from being the ultimate marriage skeptic to a, a keen promoter of marriage. I read an interesting review of, of that book in Publishers Weekly where the reviewer said that the chief lesson from Gilbert's book is really she did the most important thing a gun-shy bride can do. She chose the right partner. Well, when I read that, I went, yeah, that's one awesome introduction to a message sometime. And my message, you know, she chose the right partner. Let's talk about how to choose the right partner. So I put it all together, and Adrian, who goes over my messages and does the PowerPoint, the pictures for me, discovered that things aren't quite as I'm about to say they were. She did kind of a fact check, and, and part of my message failed here, because in, in 2016, Elizabeth Gilbert divorced the guy she wrote the book Committed All About. Uh, apparently, it was very amicable, if divorce can ever be amicable, especially when you write a book about how amazing your relationship is with this guy. And then Gilbert in 2017 entered into a same-sex relationship with a girl dying of cancer who shortly after they were married in a non-legal binding ceremony passed away in January of 2018 from cancer. And my beautiful introduction to this message became all of a sudden very complicated and messy. And rather than just trashing the story because it just no longer neatly fit, I'll let it stand with a not-so-happy-ever-after ending because that is the reality so many of us experience. So, I don't know where Gilbert stands on marriage right now, probably not where her book was at, uh, whether she's pro or con, she just might say it's complicated, right? It's, it's complicated. But I think the writer of that interesting review of the book committed from Publishers Weekly was onto something when she said it's all about the choice of a right partner. Choosing the right partner, that's easier said than done, right? So what I want to talk about today is the very tricky process of actually locating a lifetime partner. And for those uh, who are not looking for a partner right now, as I talk about this, there's just a lot here about relationships that work. Now, talking about being on the search for a life partner, you know, whole industries exist today to, to help you do this. eHarmony.ca, Match.com, FindAdate.com, RentAdate.com, DumpAdate.com, and... 
And there's this supposedly safe place for Christians, ChristianMingle.com. By the way, a little scary stat about all these websites, and I think this would include Christian Mingle as well, is that over 50% of the people who surf these, wives, these websites are married. Just, just warning you, okay? So what I want to do with the time that remains is maybe list and talk about five basic compatibilities that if they exist in a dating relationship, they, they will probably, no guarantees, okay? This stuff is never guaranteed, right? But probably lead, help lead maybe to a lifelong marriage. And if they're not there, uh, a relationship headed towards marriage is on pretty shaky grounds. And maybe if they're not there, you should reevaluate the relationship before heading to the altar. These are just wise considerations rooted in the wisdom of the Bible that are well worth considering before you make that major step into marriage. I've collected these from wise preachers over the days, and I've shared aspects of them from time to time before. And for those of you who are in a marriage relationship, these are, these are, these are just compatibilities that we need to strengthen in order to seek success in order to succeed, right, in making it till death do us part. And so this is for you who are married too. So the first compatibility, uh, let's start off with the one that I just get the most pushback uh, whenever I talk about this one. And this is for those of us who have faith and follow Jesus. The first uh, compatibility is spiritual compatibility. And for those of you who don't fit into this right now, just, just hang in there and listen, okay? But the reason I get a lot of pushback on this one is because, quite frankly, it kind of shrinks the playing field of su suitable candidates quite a bit, right? And, and so many Christian singles, I mean, I hear this all the time, they tell me that they can be an effective influence for Jesus with an unbelieving partner. <clears throat> they kind of hope and pray that they can lead their partner to faith, and, and I'm not saying that it can't happen. I mean, I've seen it happen. I I once dated a girl who quickly dumped me for this cowboy in Calgary she met at a wedding. He was not a believer. She was a pretty strong in her faith, and yeah, it worked, and now he's a believer, but that's not necessarily the norm or the ideal, but yeah, it can happen, and some couples in interfaith marriages, they just make it work, but still, the Bible gives us a little clue of value from the Apostle Paul for us to, to, to wrestle with. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. I mean, Paul's words here are pretty straightforward. He's just sounding a warning call that we ought not to enter into a long-term binding relationship with people who hold fundamentally different values than we do. So why would God place such a high value on spiritual compatibility? Have you ever thought about this? It's because God, of all people, knows how deep a, a person's faith permeates their entire being. He, he knows that a man or a woman uh, uh, who fully surrenders their life to Jesus, it just has massive implication for every area of their life. It, it changes the way they think and behave and love. It, it changes how they handle money. It, it changes what they plan to do with their spare time. It, it has an impact on, on, on their friendships. It often changes uh, how weekends are spent, certainly Sunday mornings. It, it changes uh, where people decide, you know, maybe to serve in a church or serve the poor. Quite frankly, for a committed follower of Jesus, you, your faith becomes core to your identity. Now, picture being married to someone who cannot relate to or celebrate your core identity. Someone who can't understand why you would waste your time worshiping God. 
why you would spend so much time studying a book that seems archaic and irrelevant to them, or, or why you would care so much about what's going on at your church. It would be pretty tough to have your core identity that you feel so strongly about not shared by the person you're in a lifetime commitment with. So God just doesn't wish that on anyone. There's just something about being able to come home and talk about what you see God doing in your life with your spouse. You seek God and you pray together. You serve God together. You, you cheer one another on in your faith. It's just powerful. So if you're a follower of Jesus, spiritual compatibility is huge. Don't, don't underestimate it. And when you're in a discussion, like with your kids or with your friends about dating and relationships, just, just keep this sort of thing in mind. Now, for those of you that are in a marriage and for whatever reason that spiritual compatibility does not exist, and that's many who are here this morning, it is what it is, what the writers of the Bible call you to do is simply to love and serve your spouse and just be Jesus to your spouse. Don't get into arguments about faith, just be Jesus and serve and love. You might want to read sometime uh, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3 and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. Both have interesting discussions of the power of a godly, cooperative, believing spouse who is married to someone who is not yet a believer. However, Paul in that same passage comments that if a spouse passes away, you're free to marry whoever you want, but Paul adds it, it should probably be someone who is connected to Christ, someone who believes. It's just wisdom. Spiritual compatibility is not meant to be some harsh legalistic prescription. It's just a bit of wisdom that brings life and freedom to a marriage, a bit of common sense. And, and if that's not your situation right now, then you just get to love like Jesus. Okay. Character compatibility is the second compatibility. Now, the book of Proverbs is primarily, primarily words of wisdom from King Solomon, and he's primarily thinking of men when he writes this, but of course, much of what he says does go both ways. But in uh, chapter 31, verse 10 of Proverbs, we read, Who can find a wife with a strong character? She is worth far more than jewels. Or, or earlier in the book of Proverbs, a, a wife with strength of character is the crown of her husband, but the wife who disgraces him is like bone cancer. Friends, character matters. So a pastor I know, he, he had a young woman in his church. We, we share stories, and he, she was very excited about a dating relationship that was, uh, she was getting into, and she just gushed about it to, uh, to this pastor. And this pastor was a bit of a father figure to this young woman, and she just told him all of the things that she loved about this guy. And he almost asked, half-kiddingly, uh, well, what, what don't you like about him so much? Uh, just to see if she was totally starstruck or, or, or whatever. And she replied, well, you know, he lies quite a bit. And this caught the attention of the pastor, uh, but he just kind of played it cool, and he asked, so, big lies? Little lies, mid-sized lies, and she said, well, really, all kinds. And then she had, that's probably not going to be a serious problem, do you think? To which he wisely and gently replied, well, you know, I think that really is going to be a little bit of a problem. Character matters. It really matters. Every little part of character matters a lot. I mean, nothing will destroy a relationship quicker than some trust-shattering half-truths, Right? Nothing will create frustration faster than one person realizing that the person they're dating doesn't always show up when they promise they're going to show up. They don't always follow through on what they say they're going to follow through on. 
So any serious cracks of character during a dating relationship, you know, they should be flagged, maybe discussed, get it out in the open, resolved before that relationship goes further. Just common sense, right? Okay. The third most important compatibility is emotional health. Uh, emotional health is well described by the Apostle Paul when he gives us a list of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of what the Holy Spirit produces in us when we surrender our lives to God and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Friends, the, the Holy Spirit is a giver of emotional health. Let me approach the issue of emotional stability this way. Every single one of us here this morning has a story. And that means when you're starting to date somebody and you're gazing over the table at a restaurant and you're gazing at this awesome guy or girl with the glow of the candle, don't let that dull your discernment. That girl, that guy on the other side of the candle comes from a fallible family with imperfect parents. They do. You know, they probably have a few depraved brothers or sisters. I can almost guarantee that they have some certifiably crazy people in their extended family. Come on, you know that's true. Who doesn't have someone crazy in their family somewhere, right? This person whose eyes are captivating you went to a far from perfect school and church and who knows what happened in the neighborhood on some dark summer nights. Do you see where I'm going with this? There's a long, complicated story that needs to get unpacked and thoroughly processed before you have a real clue who this person on the other side of that table really is. Let me use a bit of a crass illustration to drive this point home. There's wisdom to thinking about this awesome person like you would a pre-owned vehicle. Hang in there. Pre-owned in the sense that they have a story, they, they have history, they've, they've done a lot of life before you ended up in this candle-lit dinner table. So, if you wanted to buy like a 10-year-old F-150 and you had your eye on one that had a really good-looking paint job, the, the first things guys would warn you about is not to be enamored with the paint, right? Well, what you really want to know, if at all possible, is to get all of the receipts of all of the upkeep and repairs done on the vehicle over the last 10 years, find out how regularly the oil was changed and when it had its parts updated, get the VIN number and go do a Carfax history report, find out if it's ever been damaged in an accident and how that damage was repaired, and after all that, get a mechanic to look and check it over. Otherwise, who really knows what's underneath that nice, shiny paint job? You following me? So let's take this into relationships. How much information should you have about someone with whom you're considering sharing your life and raising your kids with for the next 50 years? How much should you know? Putting it in the positive. Just learn each other's stories. Talk about every era of each other's past, especially the painful errors, so that you can figure out, discern if the pain has been processed enough so, so that this potential marriage partner is emotionally healthy enough to enter into a marriage and, and have kids with. I, I mean, this is incredibly important. And don't feel guilty if you discover that the other person just is not emotionally healthy enough to make a marriage relationship work. This is just wisdom. And you're not being selfish. 
You're not being good to just yourself, but to the other person. The emotional health and stability of both partners is absolutely critical to make a marriage work. Staying single while you work through issues of emotional health is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Hear me. It's a good thing. So this is why I'd say go slow. Just go slow in the relationship. Time is your ally and gauge each other's emotional health. And you, you can make sure when you finally make that commitment that you're entering into this partnership with someone who's emotionally whole, someone who's going to be able to navigate with you the storms of life. Like the wildfire. Why did so many marriages crash a year or two or now three years since the wildfire? So many. The emotional strength both partners needed to work through that storm just wasn't strong enough, wasn't there. Emotional health is critical. Okay, we've talked about spiritual compatibility, character compatibility, emotional health. Number four, communication compatibility. The Apostle Paul talks about speaking the truth in love. Solomon in Proverbs says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. So, whenever I meet with a frustrated couple, uh, so often the conversation begins with the phrase, Well, we never really learned how to communicate with each other, and I'm sure that's of no surprise to any of you, right? But the truth is, the, the extent to which two people can engage each other in truthful, soulful, gracious Ephesians 4, Proverbs 15 style conversation, this is perhaps the greatest single determiner of the health and sustainability of a relationship. The Bible is so clear that communication is just central to the vitality and sustainability of a relationship. Solomon, in his book of wisdom, says... To answer before listening is folly and shame. Just a little challenge for some of us guys, right? Listen. Listen to each other. Listen. When your partner starts to talk, just, just tell yourself, this is where I shut up. This is where I let them talk. And I listen and then carefully process what they are saying and then respond. The Apostle Paul, he has great God-inspired wisdom when he says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't let little arguments become week-long, uh, day-long, month-long, year-long kind of ordeals, right? Friends, there are just so many nuggets of wisdom about communication and relational warmth and sensitivity in the Bible. And whenever I see a dating couple or a married couple growing in their communication skills, growing in how they use words so well with each other, I say to myself, I think they're going to make it. I think they'll make it till death do them part. It's just that critical. Okay, now the final compatibility, mutual physical attraction. Now you'll notice this wasn't on the top of the list, but you know, it, it really ought to at least be on the list, Okay. Well, what you're talking about here is the physical sexual chemistry that sends that positive charge through your system when the other person enters the room. You know, you light up. And I'd like to suggest that it's actually more important than some people realize, especially Christian people, uh, because there are lots of Christians and some who've taught that it just shouldn't be on the list. And I get where they're coming from, but I've got to tell you, there's a whole book in the Bible devoted to the chemistry of physical sexual attraction. It's the Old Testament book of the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. It's a book that's real, I mean, it's rarely preached on or taught about. You don't even get small group Bible studies on this book, no. The book is just a little too hot and, and steamy. 
It, it celebrates love and sex in a marriage relationship. It talks about grass. I mean, you should read it. I get that the only ones who really read it are 13-year-old boys in Christian schools, but anyways. <laughs> but my point is, this physical sexual chemistry that happens in us is a gift from God. God even celebrates it in the Bible, so it, it's got to be on the list. In, in the Old Testament, the, the Bible mentions a guy named Jacob who meets a, a young woman named Rachel, and Jacob finds Rachel so attractive that he agrees to work seven years for her hand in marriage. I mean, seven years. That's got to redefine going slow, right? And when the seven years are up, he says to her on what he thinks is going to be the wedding day, ah, oh, the years were but like a day, I mean... Does he have the hots for her or what, right? And some of you know the rest of the story. He winds up having to work an additional seven years to pay off the required dowry. But let me say it again. That this physical sexual attraction in a relationship, this is God's idea. The Bible is filled with stories of how men and women were powerfully attracted to each other and how that attraction eventually helped draw them and uh, keep them in a lifelong relationship. They would leave their family of origin and cleave or unite to each other for the rest of their lives. My point is, and the wisdom we read from the writers of the Bible shows that a strong sense of attraction to one another during your dating relationship is pretty important. And that means you kind of want to, you know, do what you can to maintain your body throughout the course of your relationship. But then, yeah, human bodies do change over time. Stuff happens. Health issues happen, and we are to love one another no matter what. But to the extent that you have control, good diet, exercise, maintain your body and keep it up for the sake of your spouse. God made your physical body to matter. So now, you've heard these five key compatibilities, spiritual character, emotional, communicational, and physical the point is, pay attention to these. Pay attention to every one of them. And, and if you're dating and you see any one of them missing, uh, just, just slow down the relationship really seriously. This is the wisdom of God who, who wants to see our marriage and our dating relationships flourish and just be wildly fun and awesome. He does. And if you're married, what, what you do is you make it a priority to maintain those compatibilities for your spouse your job isn't so much to go after what you think your spouse is missing on that list, okay? The better thing is just to work on yourself, work on those compatibilities and make yourself a, a more compatible spouse. You know, as I was putting this message together, I started to think about all the guys that I grew up with in high school and university, guys that I worked at summer camp with, uh, guys who I'm still in contact with, and I, I was kind of pumped to realize that the vast majority of them, like, I think 80% of my friends are still in their first marriage. And, and my immediate family, going back for generations, there is no divorce in it at all, none. And uh, I know how weird that sounds, okay? So I have been blessed with some pretty awesome friendships, and my family's been pretty solid. I credit that to the power of the Christian faith and growing up connected to a chart, uh, to some strong church youth groups and awesome Christian camps, like where my wife serves every summer. Somehow these environments taught us to choose well and to make our commitment work, and they did. And camp, by the way, is where I met my wife, so that was pretty powerful. But so many in our world, so many in this city, so many of you here this morning have not been as fortunate. You know, no one walks down a wedding aisle hoping for a divorce situation. 
Uh, some of you have wound up being divorced and it was a terrible thing. You, you never wanted it to happen, but it happened. It was outside your control. But a lot of guys I talk to, you know when you get right down to it, some of them, when I'm talking, they just got bored in their marriage. They strayed or they wanted an upgrade. They, they felt someone new might be the answer to whatever it was that they thought wasn't working for them. And uh, for some of them, something wasn't working and so they kind of wandered. No doubt. There are going to be a few of you here today who are struggling in your marriage. If that's you, by the way, there are resources we can point you to, counselors in our city who can help you. And you can contact me or any of the pastoral team, and we'll work at getting some help your way. Okay. Let me address some of you who are listening today, but you're still wrestling a bit. Some of you are single, and you're like, that message didn't help me one bit. I'd like to find someone with just one compatibility. All I'm asking for is one. Okay. I don't think marriage is actually going to happen for everybody. Not everybody. The Bible doesn't indicate that. And Jesus was single. And despite the stats I gave about happiness of married people last week, I know a ton of people who've chosen to love their lives as singles and are having a blast as singles. Some of you got divorced. You can't believe it happened to you. You never wanted it to happen, but you or your spouse made a terrible decision, and here you are. I have no simple words for you, no little pastor dust that I can help make it all better, but God loves you, and a divorce doesn't have to define you. There can be a better tomorrow. Some of you are widowed, and every time someone talks about marriage, and every time you go into a restaurant and there's a couple sitting there, you go, oh man, why did this happen? I don't know. But God knows, he loves you, and he can mend broken hearts over time. By the way, you know, if we're honest, all of us kind of love giving relational advice now and then uh, these days, right? Uh, we, we like cheering on other people in their dating relationships, their common-law relationships, their marriages, or maybe their marriages-to-be. So when you decide that maybe you want to give a friend a little advice, would you remember these compatibilities? I mean, just fire people up to make shaky relationships strong before they dash to the altar, okay? And, and you know, we're a church family where we believe the Spirit of God speaks. If, if God gives you a prompting to ask a couple to maybe slow down and read something or get some counseling, do it. If you know this is a, a God nudge, please do it. Because this is serious business, and sometimes it's the word that you say that will cause someone to go, whoa, wait a minute, I, I better take a lo another look at this. Okay, let's leave it all there and, and just pray. And, and I just trust that no matter where you're at, that something was helpful for you here this morning. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the wisdom you've given us in your word about what it takes to make relationships and marriage flourish. We confess that it makes sense, even common sense, but, oh God, we just allow our drives and our emotions to bury common sense. Help us. Help us to embrace your ways. Empower us by a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit to live with the wisdom of these compatibilities, to, to learn to live and love well. And I think of those in dating relationships in our church family, and I, I pray, God, that you would lead them, protect and bless and convict and speak these words of wisdom to them so that wise decisions will be made. And we're just thankful for marriage, that it's your idea that it's going to survive no matter what happens in society. And I pray that we will all experience a little hope and help because of this Swipe Right message series. I pray all this in 